welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. This is the CCM Investing Power Hour, number 37. Uh, so we're really just chugging along here as we hit the end of the year. Um, this episode, actually, let's say who we are first. My name is Brett Schaefer, and I'm here joined as with Ryan Henderson, as always. These episodes are ones where we bring a couple topics to the table and also just talk about whatever is going on through the financial news. It's only been a few days since we did the last one, since we were on a different timetable. If you're listening to this one uh, on Sunday, we actually recorded this one on Monday live on YouTube, but these episodes go live on YouTube once a week. Typically, it's at Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific time, 7 p.m. Eastern time. Today, we're doing 4 p.m. Pacific time on Monday, uh, if you're watching this live. Uh, all right. Anything else, Ryan, uh, before we get started? Let's talk about our sponsor, though, first, who's for helping newsletter. us. Newsletter, actually. Yeah. Subscribe to the newsletter. It's free, easy, helps you um, keep track of the show. Um, you can also do that on Twitter as well by following us there. And give us a, if you like this episode, please give us a good review on either Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Um, I've been thinking about yeah. that. You know what? Even if you don't like us, give us a review because all press is good press. I think we should take that route from now on and kind of just be okay with the, the one-star reviews. Yeah, maybe. Maybe that would help. Uh, so either way, give us a review. Get those numbers up. Five, five stars, probably better as... Uh, but we've had some bad reviews lately, some disgruntled listeners, which are funny to see. But yeah, let's talk about our sponsor before we get into the show today. And that is Seven Investing. Seven Investing is helping you empower your investing future. I believe that is their tagline. Uh, if not, that is pretty darn close. And they do seven stock research reports a month. You've heard us talking about them before. They do also plenty of stuff behind that. They're very personable investing service that can really help um, be your own personal financial advisor as you're trying to navigate the markets and know exactly what to do if you're someone that wants to buy individual stocks. So if you want to try them out, they have a perfect deal before the end of the year. Use our code money. You can get a seven-day free trial to try out the service risk-free and cancel anytime. And then if you want to stick around, you'll get $100 off your annual subscription every year for life. Um, so use code money, try it out, help yourself out. I mean, honestly, like there's no reason not to at this point, at least try that seven day free trial. We think I like it. All right, Ryan, let's get into it. What are your topics this week? Did you have any? Yeah, I got a lot. Um, okay. I, also, I gotta say for anyone that's watching this or anyone that's not watching this, Brett, Brett kind of has the whole uh, being held hostage lighting going on right now. So that uh, maybe it does what, look, it does look what, dark. I have a good background, so you can't see the anything behind me. It is like a sheet and it is dark out. So yeah. Let that be the, uh, the invitation to come, to come watch these on YouTube and ask some questions, but no, I got, uh, I got a couple Bernstein had an interesting presentation on payments that someone kind of, 
I love when people just like leak the slides, you know, on Twitter, they just like screenshot and share them. It's, it's always very nice. Um, so we saw some of those. I'm going to talk about that. And then Tama Bravo raised a $32 billion fund, which basically buys out software businesses. So among Beautiful. other things, they also invest. Uh, so we're going to talk about that. Uber, we also have a, yeah, you have, you have something else as well. What uh, Uber started an advertising division. Chipotle sells merch. Uh, there's some Starbucks outrage among uh, customers. All so, right. Well, why uh, why don't you get started on one of those topics while I tweet out the link here to the show? Sure. All right. Uh, payments. So this Bernstein note basically goes through some of the market share among checkout buttons um, or checkout solutions uh, on e-commerce sites. And PayPal still holds the largest share with 16%. Of, of checkout buttons, credit cards is accounts for more than half. I think it's like 63%. So that's counted as its own thing. But um, Apple Pay is actually quickly gaining. So Apple Pay is now at 5%. And when you look at the year-over-year growth in terms of usage, PayPal for the month of November was down 8%. Credit cards were down 2%. Apple Pay was up 53%. Um there's also a category called like finance, which I don't know if that's like BNPL, like a installment loans. It wasn't defined. And I was just looking at the screenshots, but that was down 9% as well. Basically, the only segment that was really up was Apple Pay, up 53%. So they are just eating market share within the payment space. Um, with Apple Pay, for context, the card networks still get paid. So it's still like you're going through a credit card. Um but Apple gets 0.15% of each transaction. So it's not as good for the networks as them going directly through the the credit card checkout process, Um, but they are still uh, facilitating that transaction. And so I guess I'm trying to think of the best question here, but it makes me feel like the payment space moves a lot and kind of changes quickly except for one element which is the card networks is there any is there anyone worth betting on in the payment space that aren't the card networks yeah well uh, apple i guess would be one but it's not relevant enough to that size of that business so i don't think so paypal i do not like at all i do not why not i think it's a lot of acquisitions, a lot of mismanagement at Venmo where they've been able to ride this tailwind and grow their GMV because of fantastic network effect and haven't been able to take advantage of it. Uh, and among other things, I think there's a lot of competition coming for that for that core checkout business. The fees are quite high. I, I absolutely hate using PayPal, the core PayPal service. Yeah, I've, I've always hated that. Plus, yeah, you, you you said it. The fees are astronomical relative to other. Uh, On the other hand, Venmo other just launched. Yeah, yeah, Venmo apparently just launched with uh, Amazon. We'll see if that can be nice, but it's not. No one thinks about Venmo in that way. People yes. think about Apple Pay in that way. They think about. I, I'm not going to change my Amazon checkout. I already have my card logged in. You just click a button. It's not. It's not a huge deal. 
Um, I saw that. And Matt, uh, we got a comment here from Matt saying serious people use Zell. That's true. Zell has gained a lot of market share. But sorry, go ahead, Ryan. Yeah, so especially for like larger payments, that makes sense. Um, with the, uh, I don't know, with Venmo, they've had such a hard time pivoting away from what they're most known for. And maybe they haven't tried that hard, but I don't know a lot of people that use the Venmo card. Um, and by the way, is my is my internet okay? It keeps saying unstable. All good to me. So I think you're fine. Okay. All right. Anyway, I uh, no, I Venmo. It seems like it's kind of just the one solution. And with the Amazon stuff, like, why would anyone? Pay with maybe if there was like the only like use case that I've heard was you've got some money in your Venmo wallet and you don't want to take the the three days to transfer it to your bank account to then use it on Amazon. You rather just use it directly, maybe. But I feel like that's kind of a niche use case, and I think most people don't have that big of a working capital problem that they have. They can't wait the three days. So yeah, I agree. Yes, yeah, the that. That that fee thing that for sending the stuff, it's not doesn't seem like a great business to me. Eventually, it feels like fees just compress and compress and compress in payment uh, transactions. So, I think the industry is interesting, but everyone besides Visa and Mastercard, I get a little bit concerned uh, with. I guess I like remittance a little bit. It's it's a steady grower. That's an interesting one because there's the regulatory like differences. Do I feel like it's going to be disrupted here in some way? Maybe it's by like a crowd of remittance services, but like some of those fees that these remittance you're, you're talking are about, getting, you're talking about PayPal or no remittance. the remittance companies, even Remitly. What's the other one? The the one that's kind of the value play wise, but then the one uh, MoneyGram mentioned on our podcast. MoneyGram. Who was it? MoneyGram. MoneyGram, that's right. Western Union is also a big one. I feel like, yeah, I feel like there's just so many different solutions that could be, uh, that could just like, there's fees that just don't need to be there. Yeah. And, and I've looked at Wise uh, as a, re- a remittance competitor, and they've talked about consistently about how they consistently want to low, lower their fees and get them as close to zero as possible. So, if your reliance on high fees is your business model, I think it's just risky, very, very risky. Uh, and Apple Pay's whole thing. Yeah, and Apple Pay is not even; they don't even care about making money in that business. They just want to keep people on the in the ecosystem for now. For now, maybe they'll make money later. We'll see. I don't know. I mean, point one five percent of every transaction. There's a lot. I feel like, I mean, you, you you saw the growth numbers there. I think they've done like just a phenomenal job rolling that out. And I, I yet, I haven't gone to a, like any sort of retail location that hasn't accepted Apple Pay in a long time. So whatever they've done, they've done a pretty damn good job. And I, I would not be surprised to see them hike, hike that transaction fee in Eventually. three years. Apple loves doing that. So here's another comment from Matt. Again, Matt always is the best commenter here. 
uh, talking about another company, I guess we forgot about in the payment space, but it's a little bit different than the consumer facing ones. And that is Adyen. Really recommend go listen to our interview with mostly borrowed ideas on them from a few months back. If you're interested in that company, there's a lot of good coverage there uh, out there on them. That that's an interesting one as well. They 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 provide a really good service to these enterprises, and they continually try to lower their fees. And it's a really complicated thing that a lot of people aren't going to be able to do in house. And then when you get you know you stick with them, you're going to be stuck with them for life. Um, I like their competitive position better than Stripe, but yes, Addy and trades at a very very high multiple. Yeah. All right. Um... I don't know. That's kind of my November update for the payments. Last time we talked about the BNPL, which I don't know. I still haven't made my mind up on that. You're given the oh, you're talking about the you're talking about the report from last. I was thought I thought you were mentioning BNPL in general, and I said it's it's over. Like it's there, uh... but it's not. It's not. I mean, I don't think. I think a lot of those businesses, yes, they will fail and it became a commodity super fast, but people, I, I think like I underestimated how much young people just hate credit, which blows my mind. Well, it is credit because it's the same thing. Yeah. It's not a credit card, but it is credit. Yeah. I don't like the credit cards versus the debit cards because of just the comp. Like I, 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 the debit card is so much simpler. It just takes less work, but I know the, the rewards you can get are higher. Um, but yes, the BNPL versus credit card is not that big of a difference. Like, if anything, you should be using a debit card if you really, really don't want to have credit. But we'll see. On the other hand, if you are a responsible spender, you can take a giant advantage of all those uh, bonuses they give. But this is not a personal finance podcast, Ryan. Let's move to the Tama. I never know how to pronounce the, the first name of their fund. I, th- I always think it's Thomas Bravo. Yeah, that's how my mind reads it. So, what what do they do? They raise thirty two billion dollars. Yeah. So, and I, I've never got it either. I know the the one of the co founders of the firm, Orlando Bravo, is like always active on Twitter. Um, which is a great guy, probably a great person to learn from. Could probably read more of his tweets. I, I don't know why it doesn't show up in my feed much, but anyway, the uh, yeah, he co founded the firm, Tom Bravo. It's kind of this famous uh software investment firm um and they just raised three different funds the total fundraising amounted to 32.4 billion dollars there's basically three different strategies but the big one is almost 25 billion dollars worth of it's designed to be a tech focused buyout fund um and so there's all this comments on twitter from it seems like for a lot of people that have uh not had great returns over the last year in software stocks, kind of hoping that this is the the hero that they they need. Um, but people, I think people think that he could set a floor on software valuations. Whether or not that's true, uh, I, I think it's probably not. But twenty four billion dollars, he has. It's not always like buying out the company in its entirety. They, there's they have four hundred investments in companies. Uh, within the Tama Bravo portfolio already, and then 55 total portfolio companies. My question is, do you think this actually has any odds of raising the valuations for software companies, especially in like the small to mid cap range? 
Possibly. I think it has a chance to. Yeah. Yeah, I think so, because people are going to be. Forward thinking and expecting these acquisitions to come into play if there's a company that might be a bit, maybe a little bit man- mismanaged or people don't like as much and it's maybe not, not, it's not that profitable, but it's trading at, it has 80% gross margins and trades at three times sales now. There could be an expectation that there's a floor there and people could get optimistic. I think that makes sense a bit, um, but I would also worry, I think it's more of a concern because you you could get, say you bought something earlier this year, it's down 50%. And you bought it at a premium valuation, but you had the expectation that it's going to grow and you underwrote it at a premium valuation. You knew the risk was that the stock could fall in the near term and it did. And then someone like these uh, private equity funds, it's not like they're doing their job. It's not their fault, but they could come in and scoop things up at a 20% premium to the current price and you could still lose money. So no, that's, a, that's a concern for sure. Something to consider. What? Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. How many companies do you think are going to go the way of like Poshmark? This, where they were software companies, wanted the public market money, didn't want to deal with the social and operational implications of a just drastically falling stock price. So they decided to go private. Do you feel like yeah. that's going to be a common route over the next couple of years? If I had to guess, yes, but I'm not. I have no way of predicting that. I have no idea to what magnitude it'll be. I think the ones that have are unprofitable, which means their stocks in the gutter now, and or are in industries that were in the hype cycle: cannabis, electric vehicles, software as a service. I guess is a broad one there. Are are going to see some of these and say, oh, we can get taken out of 30% current premium. Our stock's just getting hammered. Um, yeah, I think that could definitely happen. On the other hand, I think there also could be some distressed assets that happen over the next couple of years as a lot of these unsustainable business models come into play. But what's interesting is there's probably even more of these unsustainable business models that, are, that didn't come go public that are still private venture-backed businesses? I don't know. I feel like some of these companies were formed just to go public during 2020. <laughs> like, Yeah, but I think, well, yeah, that, that's true, but I think there's more that are still private 
given yeah. how many got how many VCs, how much money VCs spent in 2020 and 2021. Yeah. Uh, I think it's probably right. Yeah. I keep thinking about like how abysmal Poshmark's like public performance was. Like it's crazy to think about what a journey they had. Imme- Stock it goes immediately, public immediately rips down to a hundred. Yeah, yeah. Like sells two weeks, tons right? of shares. They they rip- to ten. Or, yeah, yeah. Within like a less than a year, and then goes private. They came for the money and 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 left instantly. Yeah, that one. I think that could happen. Yeah, quite a few times. That was probably the like most. That was probably the quickest I've seen. Of of the companies I've looked at, that's the quickest I've seen a company go public and then come right back private. Yeah, that was something. They got a good offer, though. Definitely got a good offer. Really? Yeah, it was like a what? I liked it. It was a huge premium to one. No, no, no. Shares were at like 15 and I think they got like $18 a share. Yeah, but it was a huge premium to when it was back at 10, like two months before got the buyout, which I think there may have been. There was no reason for the stock to go up. Someone knew there was buyout. There was some... There had to have been activist there, rumors. They, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, at one point it was like sixty percent of the market. Now, if you include customer cash, which I guess you shouldn't, it was like seventy percent of the market cap in cash. If you exclude yeah, you that, is fifty yeah. percent still. So, I don't know. Yeah, but the business model. The business was so bad. What do you mean? <laughs> so it was growing. Bad. It was still growing. Oh man. It's just a bad business. I don't know. I don't know if I agree entirely on that. I feel like, especially right now too, like I think used clothes are going to be, I think they're going to see a lot of volume, like an increase in volume flowing through that platform over the next five years. Maybe, but we're never, we're not going to know as they're private. Uh, I got a couple other pieces of news that aren't really. What about well, let's let's go to, let's do mine instead of. Or All right. The end. I I yeah. also if we're still doing the article the seven investing like random articles that we sprinkle through here do we want to talk about that I found a good uh, one. Yeah, let's. I guess we can do that now as All the right. the mid break ad. This uh, I'm saying, yeah, it's even less of an ad because it kind of plays right into our uh, our personal strategies. But Dana Abramovitz. I believe it's I'm saying the last name right. Um, wrote an article titled "Is Online Dating a Good Business?" and it was on. It was uh-huh. honestly a fun read. I recommend everyone going and reading it because she actually kind of chronicles like the journey that I think a lot of people go through, where she, she basically talks about how everyone kind of thinks they're going to meet their partner organically and kind of have like you know, just through their day to day, they're going to meet, meet people at their ordinary activities, but it often doesn't turn out that way. And more and more people continue to result or resort to the online dating solutions. So she kind of goes through that. Um, I hear she, she's I, talking about the, the unknown, the unwritten rules of online dating. Yeah. The, <laughs> everyone learns that it's, you got to kind of trial by error there. Yeah. And she, uh, I mean, there's like a lot of candor in this article too, which I like. It was kind of fun to read through, but 
then basically at the end kind of comes to the same conclusion that we have come to, which is a lot of people say that the lifetime of a user is short. Like if, if you're successful, you get rid of your customers, but she also provides kind of some good points here, which is you get what you pay for oftentimes. And so the higher value services, you're going to pay more for them and more and more people, especially the longer that you're on there, you like tend to eventually pay. And it's an, continually increasing uh it's a continually growing market to go after um and it's still so young in terms of like the the markets that are actually adopting the solution i think it's still got that stigma worldwide so i don't know she goes through it i think it's worth a read uh i thought i thought it was pretty interesting because i always i mean that's like the common bear case like if you do well your customers are gone but that's just never played out in the financials for any of these successful, <laughs> uh, successful dating companies. Yeah, there are plenty of bear cases that are, I think, legitimate, but not that one. Um, yeah, it sounds like it'd be right, though. Yeah, but there's always. It's not like the everyone in the world's not going to be sig- single once the dating apps. You know, you know what I mean. It's uh, yeah. It's kind of a funny. That you just kind of think it through a bit, but yeah, I was kind of scrolling through this while you were talking. It seems pretty good. Uh, we definitely agree with a lot of that analysis. And either whether we agree or disagree, at Seven Investing, they have plenty of good free articles that you can go check out. And definitely go use our code Money uh, and get a free trial for seven days to all their premium stuff, and then a hundred dollars off your annual subscription. All right, we have uh, some questions in the chat that maybe we should talk about first before we hit to my topics. Here's one from, I believe your name is Guido uh, Hendricks from, oh, sorry if I said your last name there, uh, from the Netherlands. So, hey, some international audience. There yeah. we go. Uh, what is your take on Salesforce? Margins are improving, second co-CEO leaving, and RPO growth slowing, but still excellent business at a good price? Question mark. Yeah, I don't know Salesforce that well. I just get turned off by the executive team, specifically Benioff. This feels a bit like a... What don't you uh, like about Benioff? Feels very like a Bob Iger, Howard Schultz situation where it's, there's no, the culture is him, um, which I don't like. However, yeah. their, their track record of growth is phenomenal. Um, there's nothing it, you can... Go ahead. It's one of those businesses that I've looked at a couple of times and still can't fully grasp what all they do. And I, I've I've been in businesses, uh, I've worked at like like summer internships at companies that really rely on this, and like the, you know, it's critical to its customers' workflow often. But I don't know. Like you, I have some worries that this is a business that relies really heavily on Mark Benioff and what happens when he's gone. Yeah. And they have never been disciplined with spending. If that changes, it's probably a very attractive business, but they have relied solely on revenue growth, uh, driven with a lot of SBC over the last few decades and through acquisitions. It's worked well. We'll see. We'll see what happens this decade. Yeah. I I don't know what the stock is trading at, but I trust uh, the comment there that it looks cheap right now. Here's another thing that I 
think people are probably concerned with, and this could either just be a totally overhyped concern or not, is that how many subscriptions are they selling to unprofitable businesses that won't be around uh, in the next few years? Because if they're selling to a lot of startups, those sales teams, right? They all have sales teams. All these SaaS companies have sales teams. They're using Salesforce. How much of that? I don't want to be as worried about them. They're not, they would not be the first losers in that situation, in my opinion. Well, if you're Salesforce, they have so many, I mean, they have like so many customers that, yeah, they're going to definitely have a lot of customers that are unprofitable and, and, and funded by VCs, but they also have some of the biggest enterprises in the world that they could raise prices on. Yeah. I just, on the other hand, I think, I wonder if over the last couple of years, there was a bubble in, 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 in software sales. Well, we had this, there, like not a bubble, like there we was had this theory. too many people in like there, they, they, these companies hired too many people. Right. And on top of it, it was just a hodgepodge fest of software subscriptions. Like it was like companies would be like, we'll, we'll subscribe to your software if you subscribe to ours kind of thing until like, it felt like every software company was using every other software company solutions for like every tiny niche part of their business, which yeah. Salesforce is the OG with that. Yeah. Um, I, mean, I don't know. It just, yeah, I guess that did kind of worry me. I think that spend's probably going to consolidate. Yeah. But look, stock looks kind of cheap. If I'm looking at Coifin here, next 12 month EV to EBITDA 16.4. Yeah. Looks all right. I don't know about those. Uh, the estimates are for them to grow 10% a year over the next three years so they do that probably fine but i i don't think it's the end market because that software is going to be sticky that's it's not the huge concern it's just the management team and their ability to truly generate shareholder value all right should we uh should we talk ftx let's hit my topics yes the news everyone wants to hear that is correct uh yeah, we include this just so the title can be because uh, because not enough people have talked about it. Well, there's news every day. It seems like, and this isn't even just SBF. It is FTX. Uh, the C the restructuring CEO spoke to Congress. So this is the person that took over for FTX uh, for the restructuring process. They spoke to Congress today. Here's a quote from their I think it was their speech that they gave to the House Financial Services Committee and they wrote it. They had to write it out and it's, I think, a public filing. Here's the quote. Nearly all of these situations share common characteristics. He's referring to all the restructurings he's done, ranging from gross mismanagement, excessive leverage, failures of internal controls, failures of external checks as a result of audit firm failures or insufficient board governance. But never in my career have I seen such an utter failure of corporate controls at every level of an organization from the lack of financial statements to a complete failure of any internal controls or governance whatsoever. That, uh, it, it shows us is one of the, the craziest run business, like craziest run businesses I've ever seen. Here is a list of what he said went wrong at FTX. One, senior execs had access to computer infrastructure that allowed them to touch customer assets with no security measures. Two, there was no documentation for transactions or minimal documentation for transactions 
involving nearly 500 investments made by the FTX group. Three, there were no audited or quote-unquote reliable financial statements. And four, there was no risk management or independent governance. Uh, There's a few other quotes here. Quote, we are working around the clock to locate and secure the property of the estate, a substantial portion of which may be missing, misappropriated, or not readily traceable due to the lack of proper record keeping. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, Last one here. looks like we are going to get a full understanding of what happened. Uh, Here's the quote. Every week, we gain a better understanding of what occurred and the path forward, which will be shared with interested and affected parties through the Chapter 11 process. So good thing this person seems to be trying to do this publicly so everyone can understand what really, really happened here. Um, he also lined up, and I have a, <laughs> I'm not going to read the whole thing here, Ryan. Wait, any sort wait, of what is, uh, who put this guy in place? Like, how he, uh, he, he just kind of came in and got hired by the board, I'm assuming. And he's a big FTX, um, not FTX, excuse me. He's a big restructuring CEO. So they, they brought him in. He did a lot of restructuring stuff at Enron. I'm sure he's just a bankruptcy CEO. So, yeah. Okay. But SBF doesn't have enough control of the company to just keep it himself. Uh, I don't know the exact details. I think okay. they went and once they went to chapter 11, then it's all the equity's gone. Oh, yeah, I suppose. All right. Um, uh, but I don't know the details. I don't think that's important. So, Here's also what he said, and I think this is the most interesting thing for what he understands went down here. Uh, He says, so while I'm not going to read this is kind of a quote, I just put a screenshot in here, says, while there are still many unknowns, uh, they know the following right now. Customer assets from FDX were co-mingled with assets from the Alameda trading platform. Two, Alameda used client funds to engage in margin trading. Three, the FTX group went on a spending binge in late 2021 and through 2022, during which approximately $5 billion was spent buying a myriad of businesses and investments, many of which may be worth only a fraction of what was paid for them. Four, loans and other payments were made to insiders in excess of $1 billion. And five, Alameda's business model as a market maker required deploying funds to various third-party exchanges, which were inherently unsafe. Last one, not a big deal for us. That it's it's it always is so it gets worse and worse and worse. Five billion dollars just on these. They were here. It's not even they were like Scarface from the movie. They were just on drugs the entire time, right? As we've known, and they're just going crazy with this stuff. I think anyone that invests in this. You cannot make excuses. You, how did you not see this? There are five hundred different investments. I mean, come on. It, yeah. Okay, so it kind of makes kind of makes like when people hear that, and I, I at least for me, it kind of makes my blood boil because it's like he's been going on this news rampage where it's kind of like, I wish I knew what I was doing was wrong. Kind of approach. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, feel bad for me. My only goal is to give people their money back. But when you read this, there is no way in hell that he did not know what he was doing was wrong. Yeah, they loaned out a billion dollars to, what is it? They loaned out a billion dollars to, uh, to insiders. Yeah, so themselves, whoever. Um, yeah, I mean, it's bad. Here, we have a comment here that uh, for Matt that according to the financial review, 
FTX inner circle had a secret group chat that they called wire fraud, which, oh, uh, um, again, people, that's crazy. <laughs> that, that, if you were, yeah, that's, that's not great. Speaking of which though, I don't think that's even the crazy, craziest crypto news that came out this morning. Well, maybe this wasn't, isn't crazy, but I think this one might be more important. So according to Reuters, the U.S. Department of Justice is weighing whether to bring criminal charges against Binance, which is a bigger exchange compared to FTX. I think it's the largest in the world. Here's a quote from the article. Some of at least half a dozen federal prosecutors involved in the case believe the evidence already gathered justifies moving aggressively against the exchange and filing criminal charges against individual executives, including founder, I'm going to mispronounce this, Chang Peng Zhao. And CZ. Yeah. CZ. And he's the one that dumped the the FTX, FTT coin thing and started the yeah. whole process. Apparently, Binance's defense attorneys are arguing that the charges shouldn't be brought against them because it will, quote, wreck havoc on the crypto markets, which is a very funny um, excuse. Like, oh, it's going to make the markets go down. Yeah, because maybe your whole operation is a criminal and uh, maybe a bit of a sham. Here's another quote. Reuters has investigated Binance's financial crime compliance over the course of 2022. The reporting showed that Binance kept weak anti-money laundering controls, shocker, and processed over $10 billion in payments for criminals and companies seeking to evade U.S. sanctions. Uh, And some of these are both in uh, North Korea and Iran, which could get them to serious trouble. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen with Binance. But it does not sound good. There was also a quote from the article about how CZ mandated the entire company not use email and only use encrypted messaging, which is something you totally do when you're not doing things illegal, right? I, yeah, I it's, just it's very standard it's just, for it's a such legal a, organization. It's such a tell to me. Um, and as we're recording this, uh, a lot of listeners are going to listen to this on the Sunday, and maybe there will be something crazy said. But tomorrow, which is Tuesday, the 13th of December, SBF is going to appear for the House Financial Services Committee. Uh, But apparently he's not going to he wasn't able to attend because he's worried about the paparazzi effect. That's what he said in a Twitter spaces. Um, Probably not because he's going to (laughs) get jailed uh, on U.S. soil, but he's sticking in the Bahamas right now. He's just going to zoom in. I would Uh, be a little. uh I think he has some right to probably be worried about his well-being. Yeah, well, people can go to the Bahamas and do that, right? People have. They've, like, stampeded outside his condo like a mob boss. It's, yeah. it's like, literally, people are so... Yeah, I think if someone saw him in the in the States, it would probably not be for the best. Um, no. But, but it, it, I wonder whether they, the government is going to force him to go. Well, that was the, what do you mean? Go or, in person? Uh, yeah. I wonder. Yeah. I wish they, yeah, I wish they would. I mean, that's the part that concerns me is that it's the whole, so many people were being nice to him about this, that we're like, Oh, in yeah. the political realm that and get, it, getting donations. Yeah. Yeah. It like made me go full anti the system, but full zero hedge. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Maybe, you know, 
so hopefully it says something self-incriminating. It's so it's such a criminal. Uh, I got a question for Matt. I do not. We'll we'll wait on that one. Uh, about uh, I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. I I wrote it. I yeah. I, I don't know about that one, but it, possible, possible, possible that that person could be in play here. Um. Yeah. What was I thinking? I think even if he has all these connections, right? He did something so illegal that's Blatantly. so obvious that no one, there's not going to be any choice because everyone can understand this and it's just going to, yeah. I so, always like, man, I'm looking forward to this book from uh, yeah. Michael Lewis. Although the, ori- uh, originally Michael Lewis was writing it as a uh, positive for him. Originally. Hopefully he, well, he probably he probably like got to know I, yeah. the guy and was like, all right. Yeah, yeah, I think now he's probably uh changed he has his, too good, changed his he has, tune. No, I mean he has too he has too good of a sense for who people are. That I'm sure once he was following this guy for around for a while, he knew he was full of shit. Yeah. We'll they see. also like yeah. Yeah. This this validates though my Baham- but being headquartered in the Bahamas thesis. Why yeah. should it be a case that like if if you're domiciled there, and I've heard like we talked about this like that was a low light for us on some spac a long time ago, and people were like, no, that's totally regular for spacs. Like, don't worry about that. No, you know what? Headquarter yourself or domicile yourself in Delaware, like everyone else. Do it in the United States or your country of operations. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. All right, uh, you want to talk uh, video games? Yeah, some more. I think interest. You know, FTX is fun to follow, but there's less investing implications there. Uh, yeah. So the NPD Group updated the video game video game results for the month of November. Total sales were up three percent year over year, reversing declines that had happened throughout the year. Uh, so we're kind of seeing a reversal in the trend there, and the sales were really driven by a 45% increase in hardware sales and hardware sales mean console sales. Uh, this was led by the PS5. Um, I should note though, I checked before we recorded this, the PS5 is still by invitation only on Amazon right now. So I, I don't even think they fully have reached equilibrium on supply and demand yet, but we'll see if that ever happens over the next couple of months. Um, now, if we look at the full year after the giant increase in PS5 supply, uh, this year, the PS5 now leads in dollar sales for the US and the Switch leads in unit sales and the Xbox always placed kind of third place there. Um, COD, Call of Duty, is now the best seller year to date. So that game really contributed to getting growth back uh, the last two months because the, the launch of that, it's the biggest game of the year every year and this one did really well. On top of that, the European news came out and basically confirmed this. Uh, Nintendo Switch is still number one in Europe. And yeah, all the top games were the same. So again, Europe, I don't need to go through the exact Europe numbers because it's kind of all the same there. But again, America and Europe were pretty in line. Uh, let me see what the questions were that I had. Do you think... So we saw a declining gaming revenue throughout 2022. And yeah, yeah, November's just one month. So I guess we have to confirm it over the next few months here. 
but was the decline in gaming revenue this year all chalked up to these hardware limitations? And how do we think it'll affect the industry in 2023? No, would be my answer. I think people generally have less free time this year relative to like stay at home, period. Because that was still last year, right? At this time last year, there was still, or at least this during 2022 relative to 2021, a lot of people were still staying at home. You really think that has an impact? I think that a big impact. Yeah. Really? Yeah. 100%. Well, if that correlated, then the revenue would be down like 30%. So I don't think it has that big of an impact. Uh, maybe on well, the margin. All, not all of it's. Yeah, I think it has an impact on in-game sales. And yeah. not all, not all the revenue in the industry is in-game sales. Majority's not, or probably half and half now at this point. Uh, yeah. I think the as, majority as though a, is as a shareholder of EA and Take Two and Nintendo. I would love to say that it's all like hardware pitfalls, but there was an like, especially a. Um, among people that couldn't go to school, there was an unreal amount of engagement. Yeah, especially for the kids. Yeah. I still think the majority, though, is the hardware limitations because if you don't get the hardware, you're not going to buy the game. So it's a double whammy, really, on industry spending. Um, but again, uh, in this month, there was some big launches. I guess Call of Duty was in October, so it's not as big. But there was... That, that God of War game, a Sony game that did really well, and then the Pokemon games, which probably gave it a bit of an artificial boost. Um, but they are comping back to the holiday season last year, which definitely had some huge game launches as well. So I think we'll see, but I would... I, how do you think it affects the industry in 2023 if this is a sign that the console or the hardware shortages are over? Yeah, I mean, if if they start meeting demand, uh, I think it's business as usual for a lot of the gaming companies. Back to probably what you saw through 2018 to 2020 period. Or maybe not even. Maybe you mean the last, two, the last three decades? Just steady growth? I would say it looks a lot like the years prior to the Switch launch. Oh. At least for at least for the Xbox and play, eh, I'm not even sure. This I don't even think that that much of an effect. Yeah, the, I think. Yeah, I agree. It's just so unique. The I don't know. Yeah, obviously, if they can meet demand, they're going to sell more units. If they sell more units, they're going to sell more games. Yeah, I think. But that's it, that's not as prominent. The game sales that are in conjunction with the hardware sales anymore. No, but it's you. You have to. Well, you don't buy it in tandem. But if you have a console, no one's buying a console and just going. I got a console. All right, here it is. You have to buy. You're going to buy three or four games. No, but you. you, uh, And if you don't have the console, you're not going to buy them. Yeah, but people aren't wait- people that haven't been able to get the Xbox Series S or X aren't waiting to get caught. Uh, that's fair. Yeah, yeah. Because it's not it's not like it's backwards compatible when you get this next next gen. Yeah, it's not going. To, it's 
no one's not playing games, but I think there's definitely a delay because if you buy the one that's for the old uh, hardware, you're not getting the, the the best graphics. So if you're saying, okay, I can buy this and wait three months for this new souped up whatever the next generation, I think it's it's going to be a positive. Um, but yeah. console isn't even that big of a part of the industry anymore. Mobile is more important. I think though, what's interesting is that there was calls this summer that the gaming industry was cyclical now, and maybe this is a head fake again. It could be a head fake. But it, it, the revenues declined like 1% year over year or like 5% year over year for a few months. And now we're getting back to growth. So I think that uh, short lived cycle. Proved, yeah, it could be proved as a short lived cycle there. Um, here's another positive I saw is that Microsoft is officially raising the standard price for its premium title. So $70 a piece. Uh, a lot of other companies have started to uh, do this over the last few years, where I think the majority are now. Um, Take two, EA, EA is launching at seventy dollars with their new premium Star Wars game. Six the uh, for the last since twenty year not twenty uh two thousand six, the game, whatever you know the premium title that you pay not 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 in game purchases we're not talking about that the actual game you buy, has been around sixty dollars so it's underperformed the cost of a game is underperformed inflation. Any thoughts on here because I think. For a lot of these premium titles, there's going to be once that $60 barrier got broken, I think there's going to be a lot more flexibility where you'll have maybe some game will stay at 60, 70 bucks if it's not something that a company is willing to bet people are going to pay up for. But for a big game that someone takes five years to make, I think there's going to be room to even go past this because if you play, if you buy, if a, a consumer buys a one of these titles that you play for months and months and months that you spend a hundred hours in over a course of a year, say one of the Blizzard type games like the, you know the new Diablo that's going to come out, or Red Dead Redemption, a Grand Theft Auto, one of those Star Wars games maybe from Respawn. Um, there's lots of others I'm missing. The difference in value, like the price per hour of entertainment you're paying for when you have a, say, a $70 game versus a $100 game is not that big of a difference. I just think there's going to be tons of pricing power there because when you have those top brands, I don't think there's going to be incremental losses in sales given how much people spend on this compared to like a movie or something like that. Yes. Okay, maybe with like the apps, maybe with COD, let's say. But I would think it would go the other direction that if game especially if like cloud gaming becomes more commonplace that you'd want to lower your prices so you if so that you can get more people in game to spend on in-game content i always thought that the industry was kind of heading the other way yeah it had i think fortnite really threw a wrench into it right over when that happened they gave i think a lot of the established publishers said we wanted to release stuff for free uh, and EA even mentioned once that they were going to give up on all these premium games and kind of go the, the in-game live services route, which has been their big growth driver. But when they launched that old, what was it, Star Wars, Fallen Order, or something like that, that was is the prequel to the one that they're about to launch here, it reconvinced them that there's still a market for these single-player games. So I think it's two different, I guess it's two different categories where you have these single player ones that aren't maybe as live service services e it's not as social 
I think there's plenty of pricing power there. Uh, and it's a huge difference if you have 10 million customers paying 70 bucks, that's 700 million, 10 million, uh, 700 million revenue, I think. And then if you have 10 million paying 100 bucks, that's 1 billion in revenue. But yeah, I think there's definitely two sides of the market where you have something like the sports games, which might actually benefit from going free just because they make all the money on the, the live services. So, yeah. Yeah. It, it always has blown my mind that game costs just really haven't changed. I mean, they've shows become, how good a, become more profitable yeah. over the years thanks to digital distribution, but they, they're still the same top line or same, same price tag. Although at the same time, I'm seeing a lot more like, yeah, the standard game is $60, but you can get the ultimate edition for $150 plus a couple of in-game packs kind of thing with like, I don't know. It feels like there's more iterations of existing games now. Yeah, the and I, well, average I, price has probably gone up. Yeah, I wonder how many people take advantage of those uh, if they're the core, the core customer. All right, enough gaming. Uh, it seems like industry is kind of doing as it does. Uh, Let's yeah, do some quick hitters here. Yeah. All right, go ahead, Ryan. Uber officially launched their advertising division. Came um, out of beta because they, they had this going. Kind of came out of a revamp almost. They're going full throttle into it. Yeah, I mean, now it's they, they put uh, some guy at the head of the division and they, they launched it on a couple of their channels. Um, I want to make sure I get all the different advertising inventory spots correct. So, um, okay, so they will have prominent place sponsored listings across Uber Eats. Seems like the right yeah. thing to do. Um, they'll also have sponsored emails. Not entirely sure where they're going with that. It says sponsored emails that enable brands to promote exclusive offers to Uber and Uber Eats consumers through email delivery directly into their inboxes. All right, that's innovative. Um, other one, homepage billboards. So this is like, instead of search-based promoted listings, it's just like an Uber Eats ad on the front page. Kind of like Taco Bell offers, blah, 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 that kind of thing. Other ones, and this is where it kind of gets interesting. Um, there's tab, they're, they're working on a tablet advertising pilot, which will see strategic partners pilot in-car tablets in LA and San Francisco for ads. So like tablets uh, on the back of car seats. That's some pretty lame advertising. That's not gonna no. The eat stuff, the eat search stuff seems promising if they can drive volume. But again, the fundamental business model is awful. So I wonder if it can this advertising save them? I don't know. But it seems that that seems like the one that's gonna have, right? Like a lot of promise where people would pay up to have the promotion. Yeah, I would think so. There's some other ones too. Um but they're not, they're kind of, I don't quite understand exactly where they exist. Like, I, I don't understand where they would be in the customer journey on any of the apps. And then there's this one, highly dig, highly visible digital out-of-home car top ads, which enable uh, brands to reach consumers based on location and time of day across top U.S. cities. Taxis, right? 
the taxi ads that are on top of the things. Yeah. Digital though. Yeah. That, yeah. It's, how creative is it going to be to a business of that size? I have my doubts. Eat, eat is the one that makes sense to me. Speaking of which, the next one you have here is Chipotle, who's someone that, again, who could, you know, spend, right, some advertising dollars through that channel if they want to get to the top of someone's homepage or not even whatever the search results are for food in your area. Yeah. Uh, other ones here. Uh, well, no more. Yeah. No more really. Some There's some other ad inventory, but some other news. Chipotle is selling merch now. I went, checked it out. Uh, huge. That's going to be, it's going to be huge. Yeah, no, probably Shot. not. But they also are selling, they've got these mystery merch boxes that you can give to someone for Christmas. Um, and I think it's like one in every 500 mystery merch boxes gets cilantro soap included. So, hey, I, I don't know if this is a joke, but apparently they're really leaning into the, they're leaning oh. into the merch stuff. Yeah, and the 10% of people that, the cilantro thing, the 10% of the people that think it tastes like soap. They the said, thing? no, no, hold, they, go ahead. Oh, yeah. I didn't even think that, that people thought cilantro tastes like soap, but uh, apparently they, they had that on their merch site or whatever, and it sold out instantly. So, how, how many items? <laughs> how many was Good it? question. <laughs> there, we know. sold out our 100 items. So yeah, they tweeted it across our 10 million followers. Yeah. They've got some interesting merchandise, I guess. They make you could say. They make all the right moves here. I don't want to lapse or I don't want to go into your next question, but ask your next question. I think that's the, the problem isn't all these ancillary things they do, but could be the thing you're about to ask. Yeah. Um, so they just added their 500th Chipotle lane and 80% of their new openings will have Chipotle lanes. They're still retrofitting existing stores or existing locations to add some as well. But my concern, and maybe it's just because I'm, go there too often is this push towards Speed? higher yeah, yeah higher velocity in terms of getting customers in and out or fulfilling orders has led to a lapse in quality i 100 percent agree i noticed the same thing i was talking with my friends some some friends the other day and they said the exact same thing but mainly more like bro talk of Chipotle stinks now or something like that. I'm, or like I'm out on Chipotle. Um, and I kind of agree. The quality is way worse. And that's it. It's important. Like they can do, they can sell the merch. They can do all the great stuff. Uh, but doesn't matter. Yeah. It, uh, I mean, I still eat there for now, but uh, they're leaving the door open for someone to, who, who, is less focused on output or throughput and, and could provide a same quality meal. Other ones, Starbucks. So you know how there's, and I know we only have a few minutes left. Starbucks, there's kind of these unionization efforts. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. Okay. So uh, part of kind of, I don't want to call it union busting, but part of the actions that, the company took to discourage to, to, companies to, from unionizing <laughs> to uh to shake up the union right yeah uh were to um so they raised wages for non-union stores which it was kind of just to prove the point that 
you have to go through negotiations to raise wages if you're a unionized store. So it's like, oh, you know, like you guys are the ones that made it difficult here. Um, so there's that. Then they they implemented tipping, optional tipping for customers at Starbucks. And I'm starting to notice this myself. They at the end, okay. you get that awkward moment where for the first time it's a new thing that they're doing. They turn it around. Like a lot of the small restaurants do now, but it's yeah, they're, they're holding they're the little point of sale system right in front of you and it says, All right, two dollars, three dollars, or four dollars on your six dollar coffee order. Yeah. And you're I love when the tip I love when the minimum tip for the restaurant starts at twenty five percent. I could twenty percent I can deal with, right? But when they assume twenty five percent, that's when I get a little because yeah, it's but when the, I it should be okay. I get it a, be, I get yeah, a should, black yeah, coffee. Like they just have to put it under the thing. Well, here's your like, problem. You're getting you black should, coffee at Starbucks. That's your issue. I got a gift card. All right. I, I, okay, it's fair, gift fair. Card a lot of, so it's a lot, well of it. a lot of gift card. Yeah, that's fair. But the, uh, it should be like, they, they talked about the complexity of certain orders. Now it's getting harder to make orders because TikTok has, has given all these custom orders that make it really difficult to achieve the same throughput. Um, oh boy. But so, so maybe you should be able to tip on some really complex order. But when I get my grande pike roast and you just put it under the thing and, you know, fill it up, like, I don't think it's weird for me to tip, you know, 25% on that. Yeah. So, and there's been reports that customers are getting pretty upset about it. It's like a price hike without a price hike. And it's and, a big one too. Yeah. Starbucks, I don't, their labor issues are just keeping me away from that thing. Yeah. I think they, I think that might've been a bit of a mistake, I guess. We got there's some comments always, here. Uh, yeah. Well, before you go to that, we'll do that to wrap things up. I always, like in the back of my mind, I'm always thinking after reading the history of GE, General Electric, like what company is the General Electric where everyone just has everyone. It's kind of like that quote that got famous in the big short where it's what you know for certain that just ain't so. GE was that one. I worry about what businesses are GE. Starbucks, I worry about could be a GE. Um, well, not as bad, probably. I worry about Disney being a GE. Um, the, when I feel that in the back of my mind, I just kind of get a nervous feeling in my stomach about investing in a company. But go ahead, the comments. Yeah, Bajan or Bijan, sorry if I'm getting it wrong, says, love the Mercado Libre episode. Really interesting company. Yes, totally agree. That was Check a fun out. one. Fun. Yeah, very, very, very fun. Uh, other other ones, Matt and Bijan both say getting tipping culture is getting crazy, always very awkward. Yeah, like what am I gonna do? Like it, if they if they put in like raise the price in there, you know, looking at you with the point of sale system in their hand, and you've got 35, you know, 30, 35 percent, 40 percent. Like, well, am I gonna sit there and go, uh, no, here, give that to me. Let me go custom tip, you know. Like then you get, you know disgruntled employees, a tumultuous relationship between you and your barista. If you're regular, I think it was just a, I think it was a risky move and and one that they might end up revoking here. soon. yeah, they're stuck in a rock on a hard place because what are they going to do? Raise prices even more. They're going to raise prices by a dollar, get rid of tipping and raise the price on your coffee. That's what I say. Could they do that without, could they raise prices by a dollar? 
I don't know, but I th- just think one of the benefits is they've always had a premium price, but you don't have to tip. Yeah. I, I don't know. Pass through some of those price that price increases to your customers or your employees. All right. Well, that is time though, I believe, right? Yeah. We started. Yep. Hour ago. All right. You want to sign things off or you want me to? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I can do it the, this week. All right. Well, thank you all for listening. Use code money. Check out seven investing. Limited time left before the end of the holiday season. Subscribe to the newsletter. And let's hit the disclosure. We are not financial advisors. Anything we say on the show is not formal advice or recommendation. We are general partners at Arch Capital and clients may hold securities discussed in this podcast. Thanks again for everyone for tuning in. Usually, uh, usually, what, what's the time? Why am I blanking? Thursdays, four, four Thursday, o'clock Pacific time. Thursdays, four o'clock Pacific time. Not this week, though. Not this week, but the next week after, typically. Typically, it'll be four four o'clock Pacific time on Thursdays. Thank you all for tuning in or listening. We'll see you next time.